I remember my first game against South Dakota State, praying, I, this I don't want to kick this. <laughs> like my first, this is my first. That would have been my first attempt for field goal. It was all PATs in the South Dakota State game prior to that. I'm like, I'm gonna have to maybe kick a game winner, and I was freaking out. Uh, and then so again, that's when it just changed. It's like. I think you have to go in with just this amazing, positive, confident attitude. But I, I just think you have to want it. You do. On Wednesday, you have to say, oh, I want to kick the game winner. I mean, you have to absolutely switch it. And so you just have to take it on and be prepared to deal with it. But yeah, I think that was for me, that was the switch where it was like, hey, you have to be positive and focused on every kick and you got to want, want them all. You got to want them all. Hello and welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I'm Coulter Nuanas from my partner Ryan Tutel. We're proud to present to you the second iteration of our Grizz Greats podcast series. This 25-part podcast series will be commemorating Montana's 1995 run to the Division I AA National Championship, first national title in the history of the University of Montana football program. It's an amazing thing to have a moment that happens in your life be a defining moment, and maybe the one that defines you to the public, to people outside your inner circle, more than any other moment. And it's an even more amazing and somewhat perplexing thing for that exact moment to happen when you are just a young man. And our guest for this episode of Grizz Greats, Andy Larson, a young man who will be remembered forever around the state of Montana for the kick he made with 37 seconds to go to help the University of Montana post a 22-20 win over Marshall in the national championship game in Huntington, West Virginia. That kick, as Mick Holy and the longtime voice of the Grizz said, destiny rests upon Andy Larson's toe. When the kick split the uprights and it just barely made it over, all of a sudden Montana was in the driver's seat and 37 seconds later, they had a national championship that set the foundation for one of the great runs in the history of not only Division I AA, not only FCS, but also Division I football in general, seven national championship game appearances in the next 14 years after that kick sailed through the uprights. But Andy Larson, he has always been somebody that has embraced the attention, embraced the love of that moment. The fact of the matter is that kick sort of overshadowed what was a great career by Andy Larson as well. Obviously, it's a defining moment in a great career. But Andy Larson, he changed what kicking was at the University of Montana. They had a couple okay kickers in this in the 80s, but in the early 1990s, it was a position where they really struggled. I mean, Matt Wells, who became the all-time leading receiver in school history, he was the kicker before Andy Larson stepped on campus out of Helena, Montana. But Andy had been a guy that was a really prolific and really talented guy coming out of high school. He had a little bit of an up-and-down career uh, starting in 1993, and he'll get into that in this interview. But he had some highs where he made some game-winning or crucial kicks, had some lows, like missing the extra point that cost Montana a playoff win over Delaware in 1993. But Andy talks a lot about that being a defining moment as well and, and maybe the spark plug for his career. When it was all said and done, Andy Larson finished his career with 51 career-made field goals, which was the most in the history of the University of Montana. He had 194 career points, the third most in the history of Montana. Some of his records pushed down or uh, overcame in recent years only because, though, I think he set the precedent for having a lights-out, really good, talented, athletic kicker. And from then on, whether it was Chris Hepner or Chris Schneider or Dan Carpenter or Brody McKnight, Montana has had some of the best kickers, some of the most prolific kickers in the history of the Big Sky Conference. And I think Andy Larson was the guy that sort of set the foundation for that. And his kick, which won the national championship game, certainly set the foundation for the next 25 years. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions featuring former Grizz kicker Andy Larson. As always, Grizz Greats proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. Ryan Tutel and Colton Nuwan is here and uh, happy to be joined in studio by God by, well... Can we say the hero of the, the hero. 95 National Championship game? Certainly uh, one of the lasting memories that uh, sticks with everybody. The kicker who uh, won the game with 39 seconds remaining in that football game, Andy Larson, in studio with us. Hello, Andy. How are you? Hello. Good. Awesome. So glad to be here and uh, and talking about this. And it, it honestly, it never gets old. 
Um, it is when you just said silver anniversary, I was like, wow, I, I guess I am getting pretty old. So, well, you look yeah. great, man, for the people who can't be here. I mean, you got all your hair, you got your copper and gold Grizz polo on. I mean, you are uh, yeah. ready to go oh, here. Yeah. So oh, yeah. we appreciate that. Thank Let's you. go back a little bit. Yeah. Helena, Montana, uh, Helena capital. You played in high school. What? First of all, when did kicking arrive on the radar? Because it seems like people grow up with football and they they want to be the quarterback, they want to be the, the wide receiver, whatever it is. But then the the kicker, which obviously is crucial, yeah. it's like, you know, sometimes you find yourself in that role. When did you get started kicking? You know, it was one of those funny things. You you connect with something maybe when you're younger that you're just innately good at. And it was my one of my best friends bought me a kicking tee when I was in the sixth grade. We lived out of town on five acres, and I just would just go out and kick. I'd be bored after school, and then I didn't start playing football till middle school. So I played, you know, free safety, wide receiver, and then I was kicker and punter. And I'm kicking the ball through the end zone in peewees, you know. And then it just kind of kept on going, and it was just. It came naturally. I was a I was a soccer player for a while, but uh, I'm older than you guys. But soccer was not a big thing. In, not in Montana uh, at all. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, we, it didn't even become a high school sanctioned sport until I think my junior or senior in high school. Mm. So I mean, it was by eighth grade you're you're kind of fizzed out of soccer for the most part. So so yeah, I had a little bit of there, but it was just one of those things. I just was I was really good at, and I didn't didn't go I just just picked it up and started doing it so yeah it was kind of weird in that way back in the early 90s Helena Montana one of the biggest questions I have is for so long Helena and Great Falls produced so many athletes in general but football guys especially and I mean both Helena High and Helena Capital were factories I mean there's four five six guys that are going to go play for the Bobcats and the Grizz all the time I don't know what happened I think part of it's this population decline and and things like that but what do you remember about just the landscape in Helena in those days because it seemed like athletics super important and super competitive yeah yeah um it is interesting I've talked to people in my age group and it, it is so different I remember in high school there was not a lot much coverage of the Grizz and Bobcats in our local paper. Mm-hmm. It was it was so opposite of what it is now. I remember, you know, having to read on the second page about Billy Cockhill and he had, you know, seven catches or whatever for 85 yards. It was like, and then I didn't even know that Danny Downs was a linebacker at the university and a stud at that. You know, it's just one of those things. I don't know uh it just is it is really morphed i mean when i was coming to when i came to school here i remember being in the stands for my recruiting trip in 92 and the stadium was not full it was sparse my parents have had season tickets since they they built um washington grizz so that was like what 85 mm-hmm. and we were you know same seats my parents still have it's on the 50 about 13 rows up they're awesome seats, and uh, I have two more right there too. So, but I remember coming up for games. I'd play high school, you know, sophomore ball. We'd come up to the game, and it was, it was really it wasn't the, I don't know, the passion and pageantry that it is today. And so, I kind of feel like we were part of that, um, and uh, so that that makes it extra special too. And I, it was one of those things that, um, and. I'm sorry, you guys got. I got probably derailed a little bit, but the hey, it's a podcast. The, That's uh, what it's all about, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the the color change. I mean, we mm. love these colors that mm-hmm. I'm wearing right now. The copper and gold. I mean, that is. But honestly, when they change that, instead of seeing, I remember looking up in the stands. You'd have a green jacket, a red jacket, copper. You know, there there was no. And now, when you look up, I mean, it's either white black maroon or gray you know it's just there's so much unity in that so i know that there was a big we didn't like it at the time but i do think that george did make a pretty good um choice on that and going back well, and now you have a throwback which is proven yeah. pretty effective at times yes. too uh, yeah. to Huge. use right yeah 
You know Blackfoot Communications for our dedication and commitment to support the communities we serve. Did you also know we're experts at keeping customers and businesses connected to their families and clients? At home, Blackfoot keeps you connected with fast internet, reliable phone, and work-from-home options. For your business, Blackfoot keeps you connected with secure corporate networks, unified communications, and remote workforce solutions. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. Uh, you mentioned your folks were season ticket holders from from day one at Washington Grizzly. Yep. What was their connection to the University of Montana and to football, and that you know ultimately kind of filtered you in there, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My my dad's a sports nut. He grew up in Medicine Lake, Montana. He loves uh, anything sports. I mean, we'd go to Class C tournaments and Billings when I was a kid. So for him, it, and he was so he was a U of M grad. And uh, my brother was a U of M grad, too. So we just had that instant connection. And my dad, he saw that they were having season tickets. He's like, let's do it. And so we were right on the first first go around when Washington Grizz. Because we, I do remember going to Dorn Blazer. It was not pretty over there. So, uh, um, so yeah, we kind of just had that. And it, it just, uh, um, yeah. So I think that's where it started. My dad just had a big, a real love for for football um and then being a Grizz grad too so from you forward for more than two decades basically the Grizz had always among the best kickers not only in the league but in the in the country I mean guys like Chris Snyder and Dan Carpenter and Brody McKnight I mean these guys are among the all-time league scores in the history of the Big Sky Conference part of that is because they got to play so many extra games than everybody else because the Grizz were always in the playoffs and always making runs but but still I mean you're talking about yeah. multiple guys that went pro as kickers yeah. but before that it, it's an underrated factor of Montana's success from 93 on but before that Montana had kind of struggles and we talked to Matt Wells before and before you the worst kicker in the history of college football <laughs> self-proclaimed Matt Wells was the yeah. kicker for the Grizzlies. But when you were coming yeah. to the University of Montana, did you oh, see this man. opportunity? Because yeah. it seemed as if Montana, that was a, one of the, a huge hole on the on yeah, the squad. Huge, huge. You know, and so I I had been coming to games my whole ever you know since I was whatever twelve years old, and so I saw you know uh, you know Grady Bennett punting or Jody Farmer punting and Kirk Deuce was a kicker and he was. Kirk Deuce was pretty. He was pretty solid, I think. Uh, you know, from a number standpoint. And then there was a draw. I think he was maybe graduated late '80s or something like that. So he was a pretty, pretty good kicker. I remember watching him. But then it really dropped off, and it was, it was precipitous. And I remember coming to a game, and it was, it was ugly um, from the kicking standpoint. And and I just that was for me. It was it was one of those perfect storms. I mean, people say you were you were on scholarship and I, I was like yeah I mean what what the U of M had prior to me it was not even an option they were going to give a kicker a full ride scholarship and I happened to be the best kicker in the state that year and it just um you know this just worked out well so, I, I want to yeah. talk about that there's an obvious need you're in high school going these guys are yeah. terrible uh so that's maybe one good indicator yeah. but the, also, the coaching staff has to decide that they want you, and being the best kicker in the state certainly helps that, but yeah. you can get a guy from anywhere. So what was it that, that led them to you to say, okay, this is, this is the guy we want? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I was um, – I, I had a pretty big leg in, in high school. I mean, I would kick balls on the kickoff through the uprights, um, and, uh, and I hit a 47 yard field goal, um, first game of the season against CMR hit a 42 yarder. So I was not just on the radar at U of M. Um, I was getting a little traction out of state too. Um, where, uh, mostly just kind of local kind of stuff like a Wyoming, or I remember getting a couple letters from Oregon and, and, and some of that stuff, but, uh, maybe Washington state. So, but and then, <laughs> for whatever reason, I had a mental block. I had a hell of a time with PATs, and you can go back and look through. I mean, if whether it was just one of those free throw things, you're just loss of focus. But I, I, I mean, I was kicking huge field goals and had a big leg, but 
I think I missed five or six PATs my senior year. And, and so just those are the kind of little things at those big schools. And so some of that stuff started to drop off a little bit. So it really ultimately ended up at Montana State or U of M is really what it came down to. Um, so it was a pretty easy decision for me. Um, but yeah, so I think, and then even those PAT struggles, like Wellesley just alluded to, you know, I missed a PAT against Delaware and it was, it was, I don't know. I, I think I finally solved that, um, after my sophomore year, my junior and senior year, I, I don't maybe missed one. And that was, I'm going to blame that one on, uh, on Justin Olson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ball, was, out, the ball was laying flat on the ground. So. <laughs> <laughs> this day and age there's so many coaches compared to what there was then i know you guys had some restricted earnings student assistance basically is yeah. what they called them but half the amount of coaches that were full-time coaches and a lot of times the special teams aspect went by the wayside but what do you remember when you first came to the university of montana as far as the priority on special teams and and just the way that um, practice went and and if you were getting the proper attention, maybe that that you that you thought you needed to to become elite. Yeah, no, I think uh, you know that was one of the big factors for me um, uh, in choosing U of M is um, uh, Coach Bruce Reed, which was Don's son, was our was the um, special teams coach, and there was not a lot of coaches. You're right at, at Montana State. I was like, well, who's going to be my coach? And um, you know, I'm talking to. Uh, um, Heisel, Cliff Heisel, and I can't remember what he said, but I don't know if you guys had a chance to meet him, but no, I, that I met guy Coach scares Heisel. the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, holy. <laughs> I was terrified was, of him. I mean, even when he was in his late 70s and he could barely walk, yeah. he was the honoriest, toughest oh, SOB you man. ever met. Yeah, he, he came to practice with his big blue duster on and chewing, <laughs> and he had this just look. And, and I can't remember who he said my coach was going to be, and I think maybe he might have been involved. I'm like, this is not good because <laughs> – because I mean, my my uh, my head coach Jim Tuss knew Cliff pretty well. They played football together. Um, Jim Tuss was from from Great Falls, and he was a Mon- he he played actually running back at Montana State. So he came from that same mold. Um, and Coach uh, Walt Chauncey was more of my kicker coach, and he's more of a smooth operator and more tactful than uh than Tuss was but so that was a huge factor in having Bruce Reed um because I had I had somebody there that you know was my coach it wasn't just you know uh you know the the DB coach or or whatever um helping out so I thought that was pretty unique and at that time I think you're right um Coulter that that was not the norm you You know know, it it seems like uh that that kickers in football have a fraternity that's unique to every other position uh and and so your family is is a grizz family the coaching situation is is better uh, in your eyes at montana at that time and all that but jan stenerud is arguably the greatest <laughs> kicker in the history of the sport right yes. and he, he's oh, yeah. a, a montana state guy yeah. was that ever something where you were like man like there's not really a kicking lineage yeah, at the University no. of Montana, and here this is a Super Bowl champion that is yeah. it, it has gone here. Did was that something? Oh yeah, without a doubt. I I met Jan. We used to go. I'm a big skier, so we went up skiing up at Bridger, and I met him. You know, when I was whatever, 12 years old, and he was definitely one of those people in the back of my mind. And it was. We went to a lot of cat games. My dad is just a fan in general. So when they made their run in 84, we went over to those two games and froze our butts off <laughs> watching Rhode Island and whoever else. But, yeah, so I remember those. And I was it was not – I mean, it was not lost on me because if you go back and look, uh, the Cats had a terrible kicker at the time. I remember going to a game that season, and he was missing stuff left and right. So – Kind of the prime, it was primed either way for that part of it. I mean, I, I could see that, that there just wasn't that talent there. And so I could, I'm like, I'm going to come in here and it should be doing fine no matter where I go. But I do think, you know, just having Don Reed is, if you had a chance to meet him, I mean, he is an absolute phenomenal person. I mean, everybody on the team would be, I mean, this it's like our grandfather, you know, that you just super, super respect and, he just was so easy going um 
and uh but uh yeah so that was really what was the big the biggest factor was 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 having coach reed there and um for sure yeah yeah Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second-ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And, of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Because of some of the fallout from the Earl Salmonson era at Montana State, Montana was getting pick of the litter when it came to Montana guys. And uh, so and so many of the guys that ended up leading Montana to that 1995 championship team were from Montana. But kickers always seem to have a, a distinct view on the game because you watch so much of it. Uh, a lot of times kickers are analytical guys, detail-oriented guys, and, and fans of the game while also participating in the game too. Do you remember a bunch of your teammates in high school? And, and was that a factor as well, just thinking, hey, I know these guys can play and we could do something special here in Montana? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, uh, Jason Crebo was one of my best friends in high school. And uh, he wouldn't even tell me where he was going mm. until it was almost right at the last minute there. And for, you know, he I know Wyoming was close with him and, and maybe a little bit with the Cats. But, um, you know, so I do think, you know, Paffer, uh, Josh Paffhausen came here and and uh, just, you know, hearing about, you know, Eric Manzanares and it play against him, but knew he was coming here. And, and uh, it's funny, you know, we, uh, you know, I knew that Dave Dickinson and, and that a bunch of those Johanse and Scotty Spragans were here, but and, and Kelly Stensrud. So you had some of that those guys that were you read about in the paper all the time that were just crushing it, and you knew that they were at the U. So that was definitely seeing some of that, and it was cool to see to finally meet them. You know, uh, when, when I first got to campus. But it, you're right. I mean, we were. I don't. Yeah, we had. Uh, I think there was the cream in the crop um, over on this side for sure. When you kick a, uh, a field goal to win a national championship, it's easy to be uh, friends with that guy. <laughs> uh, but kickers in general have sometimes yeah. been ostracized within the realm of a football team. I think Parcells famously said, "Kickers don't got to play; they just got to kick," <laughs> and that sort of mentality. When you first got to the Grizz and are on the team. What what was the integration like for you from a from a teammate slash friend sort of standpoint? Yeah, I think too it's a it's a it is a very very unique position because you're not on offense and you're not on defense, and it just depends on how you kind of uh, interject yourself. Um, I was an athlete. I did track and field. Uh, you know. Uh, I uh, ran, tra- did long jump and javelin, and I played football, played basketball. So I was a decent athlete. I wasn't as good as like Carpenter. He was a fantastic athlete. Um, but I think, you know, there's a little bit of respect there. They kind of realize that, you know, you have some athleticism. Right. <laughs> um, and I think there's a little bit of respect there. And then I think it's two, two things is, you know, I – I was a pretty, I'm a pretty outgoing person and, and, you know, pretty, just a, a amenable guy. I just, I don't, you know, I'm not going to take a hard line one way or another. I'm extremely competitive and, um, 
I think they saw that. Um, but, uh, you know, and you also have to have extremely thick skin. If you get out of, been out of shape, um, in college as a kicker or punter is not going to work. Yeah. Good. I mean, cause you're getting constant barrage from players, coaches. I mean, it's, 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 uh, but you just, that's just part of the, part of the, what comes with the territory. We've all played, you know, high school football, you know, it's the same kind of stuff going on. Is there an element there of being a Montana guy too? Because now you see there's these kicking camps and all these kids are specialized. And I mean, they're tremendous. I mean, like this kid, Bryce Layton, who just signed with Montana State. I mean, he was the number two ranked punter in the country playing the USA or the, uh, the U.S. Army All-American Bowl and all oh, that. Wow. But he's, I don't think he played a second of another sport, nor did he like play a different position in football. And I think that the guys that have come from Montana, they've been kickers, like you say, they have athletic backgrounds and they know how to compete. Yeah. It's not just the dorky little kicker, right? Like Dan Carpenter was... I mean, he was the best tight end in the state of Montana yeah. when I was in high school. You know, you were like scared of Dan Carpenter. He yeah. wasn't like this kicker. He was like six three, two twenty. You know, he so, was dunking in. Hoops I mean, too, exactly. Right? Yeah. He was this beast athlete. And yeah. so, I yeah. mean, do you think there's an element there though that the fact that you do you come up in Montana where so many people yeah. play so many sports and you kind of get that competitive edge, not just this specialist kicker? Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And 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 some of the guys knew me. You know, prior they'd see me in track or or hoops. You know, I jumped against Paffer and some of those other guys. So, yeah, I think there is definitely some of that. And uh, it is. I, I ended up going to a couple of kicking camps late in my career, and they were, you know, whatever, they were decent. But I do think there's so much more of that now nowadays than you, you used to. I know that uh, coaches have gotten pretty creative in a lot of things that they do in, you know, the spring ball, fall, fall camp, whatever. But I've seen things like – they get the guy with the longest hair on the team, and they say, "Okay, kicker, you got a thirty-five yarder. If you miss it, he has to shave his head." <laughs> that kind of thing. Did, was there ever like competitions or games and things like that? You know, that were maybe for fun, maybe a little bit more than for fun. Yeah. Well, you know, during your time at UM. Yeah, no, they they that was constant. It wasn't quite like that, but it was like you know we would do. Pretty typical for us was the 15 minutes prior to practice was all special teams. And so that's where I got a lot of my work in with my snapper and holder. And then I was kind of free reign for a couple hours. And then, you know, depending on the schedule, we'll do, we were doing team stuff. And then it would be, you know, whatever Coach Reed or Coach Denny, he would yell out, you know, okay, we're doing goal line or something. And, run out there fourth and seven just kind of try to do some game simulation stuff mm -hmm. if larson hits this we're going home if larson misses this we're running yeah you know so there was definitely some of that stuff and i didn't hit all of those <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine what was yeah. on the other end of well, those coach it's a 73 yard <laughs> field goal so i think conditioning is in store for the day okay yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you mentioned coming to games in in the early 90s when you were in high school uh, but it seems to me that there was this tipping point in 1993 when Dave Dickinson leads the comeback against South Dakota State, and then all of a sudden he's the man. And the the energy around the program, the fervor for the program starts to build, starts to build. Yeah. But do you remember that tipping point? And, and at what moment did you realize, wow, we can actually take this program to a nationally elite level? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I think, again, I, I was pretty clueless in some regard. I think part of it just because the coverage on, you know, I think there was even some pressure in Dave's freshman year redshirt freshman year mm -hmm. for him to play he was behind lebo and lebo you know was kind of i think he'd been a starter for a couple of years and but he i think if i remember right threw a ton of picks from remembering but you know so there i remember that there was some of that and so when brent Wollaberger and dave it was kind of a real dead heat there was nobody at the initial and um so, you know, when we went to Oregon, well, we played South Dakota State first game. That was my first college game. And, you know, we have that crazy comeback. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like, this is Dave is for real. You know, that was, that was a reason why he was, you know, uh, what were we, uh, 24 and 0 and, mm -hmm. you know he was 24 and 0 and, 0. and it's just like that kind of hit home and there was like you know um Guernsey and just some of the other players that were kind of just like we found ways to kind of get that deal done and then and then so I think that was like oh wow Dave is really good and then we went to Oregon 
Oregon was absolutely, I think, the game changer. It was that from then on, we just had this massive amount of confidence, even though we lost that game. We're just we just looked at Dave. I mean, that's where every, I mean that was really the first time I'd been a part of somebody like that. And there's a reason why he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. You see, people they're just different, and everybody on our team saw that confidence that he had, and it just made us bigger, stronger, faster, more focused. When we, I mean we have five more minutes we'd probably be Oregon I mean Dave didn't start he didn't even come into the game until I think second half or late second quarter or something so that was and we lost by whatever it was four or five points but yeah so that was absolutely the big difference and then from then on we just started rolling people and uh and then it just caught fire so that was that was absolutely awesome and then um but yeah that was the super fun that yeah you could feel it without a doubt you know Blackfoot Communications for our dedication and commitment to support the communities we serve. Did you also know we're experts at keeping customers and businesses connected to their families and clients? At home, Blackfoot keeps you connected with fast internet, reliable phone, and work-from-home options. For your business, Blackfoot keeps you connected with secure corporate networks, unified communications, and remote workforce solutions. For more information, visit grizzgreats.com or call 866-541-5000. Blackfoot, connect to more. Yeah. Right after that Oregon game, then you guys go on this massive winning streak in 1993, win nine in a row, get all the way to the Division One AA playoffs, and then here's the Delaware game. I know this is probably one that's a this was probably a bad memory for you at yeah. the time, but uh, Montana does, ends up losing that game, 49-48, a missed PAT. Yeah. But how much did that set the stage for the rest of your career? Yeah. So um, just one little one little footnote. I mean, it was about 10 degrees <laughs> the, the the field was frozen solid so maybe maybe give me a 10 percent out on that yeah, right, right. i just like the fact that a kicker went for a footnote apropos i think it does yeah so uh but no it um that was a that was a hard one because uh you know again we had a, we knew we had a great team i just don't know I don't know, defensively, you know, obviously they just, I mean, that was a crazy game. I've never seen a game like that where it was just, they ran the ball, we threw the ball, absolute track meet. We went up 48-42. I missed that PAT. um, So so we're only up by six. And there was like a minute 35 left in the game. And they scored in, I think, 32 seconds or something like that. So we actually got the ball back. We're starting to drive and maybe potentially a field goal. So, I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was a crazy game. So, um, but yeah, that was, um, that was absolutely a tough pill to swallow. Um, unfortunately, you would think that that would kick me in the butt, but I had some sophomore kind of slumps. I mean, sophomore year was really ugly. It was just up and down, really extreme. I think I might've been, you know, the, uh, Oli's player of the game one week, and then the next week I can't even hit a field goal. I was just a mess. Well, what um, is that like? Because my only comparison is to golf, where I've only yeah. been off, yeah. uh, notably. <laughs> but like, it, it is such. A, in one sense, all positions are like this. You can have a great yeah. game as an offensive tackle. You can have yeah. a bad game. Okay, yeah. but for 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 kicking, it just seems maybe it's just so obvious because it's just binary. You make it or you don't. Yeah. And also, like you can feel it one week and then not the next week. What what is that? I I honestly think it. And you know, I think Coulter kind of alluded it to it earlier. I I love college football. I love football. I love watching it. So it was like, what do I do with all this time in a four hour game? Mm. You know, and this that was the first time that I really wasn't involved in just kicking. You know, um, and so do I root like crazy and am I cheering you know or am I kind of just this subdued guy and stay focused and you know be the kind of the machine or whatever so I just really didn't I had struggled for a couple years on how to kind of just get myself mentally prepared because it I sit around you could sit around for 30 minutes and not do anything 
So to stay kind of in the game, do I just sit over on the bench and not even watch the game? I mean, that you know, so I just really struggled with that. Um, but uh, so it, it's just, I think for me, it was just finding that, that, that way. And for the absolute, um, I mean, again, sophomore year was really rough. Northern Iowa, um, thank God the kicker bailed me out on that one. Um, he shanked a 37-yarder for the win after I'd missed, I think, two field goals and a PAT that game. Um, so that was that was that was absolutely the bottom of the barrel. And then the next week was McNeese State, and McNeese State was um, they were absolutely loaded um, coming from from the Southland, and we jumped up on them 27-7. I was having another terrible game. Missed a field goal, missed a PAT. So we're up 27-7, start of the fourth quarter. They come cruising back and um, are up either 28 or 29-27. And um, I just remember literally just saying, I want, give me one shot. I want one shot. I'll not let you down. And that's all I was thinking. I just had to, you just, I was I was absolutely pinned into the corner and it was, do I just crumble up into a ball or do I just fight myself out of that? And that's what I did. I just was pacing the sidelines, just saying, give me one more chance. I want one more chance. I don't care if it's 50 yards or 20 yards. Give me anything. I'm going to make this damn kick. And I mean, it's, it is that last, that last drive is insane. We had no business probably, you know, I think Guernsey was, you know, throwing the ball back and Shalon Banker makes a couple of great catches. Wellesie and for Don Reed to trot me out there on a 37-yarder in solid mud um, to for the game winner was, I mean, that uh, that was huge. And that was, that, was, that was the absolute, for Dave, it was the Oregon game. For me in my, in my career, it was, um, it was the, it was the McNeese State game, so yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to if you've missed a couple of kicks, you just any any scenario to get back out there that makes all the sense in the world. But also, every if you kick long enough, games are going to come down to that last play, which often can be a, a kick, right? Yeah. And I'm wondering, understand like if you want to be clutch, you kind of you want to be able to thrive in that moment. But like on Wednesday. Are you going, man, I hope it's up to me. I hope it's a one-point game, and from 42, I'm going out there. Are you, like, hoping that that is the way it develops, or do you go, let's win by 40 and let's all go to snack time? So, again, that first two years of college, that's what it was like. I remember my first game against South Dakota State praying – this. I don't want to kick this. (laughs) Like, my first – this is my first – that would have been my first – attempt for field goal it was all pats in the south dakota state game prior to that and i'm like i'm gonna have to maybe kick a game winner and i was freaking out uh and then so again that's when it just changed it's like i think you have to go in with just this amazing positive confident attitude um that's why i love hepner i don't know if a lot of people know i mean that kid was just oozed confidence and he was on the practice squad my senior year and um great great guy and um but just really uh really kind of he's kind of a recluse kind of guy but uh good good guy great kicker but i i just think you have to want it you Mm -hmm. do on wednesday you have to say i want to kick the game winner i mean you have to absolutely switch it and so you just have to take it on and be prepared to deal with it but yeah i think that was for me that was the switch where it was like hey you have to be positive and focused on every kick and you gotta want want them all you gotta want them all you mentioned you kicked the game winner against mcneese state to go to the semifinals of the playoffs in 1994 and then i mean that youngstown state team was loaded that's jim trestle's dynasty i think they won three out of four uh they pound you guys and then uh but then you're coming into the 95 season and then you have that game-winning kick against Northern Arizona too. Yeah. So was that another turning point for you then? That was that was where like this this was one of the, this is where I knew everything had changed. 
the McNeese State, when I went to Youngstown, I was like 100%. I'm like, I'm not missing another kick, you know, as long as this season goes and whatever. I think I had a couple PATs or whatever. I don't remember. But so then the next year, I was just rolling. Um, and when I went out there, I was like, this is down the middle. I got this is. I, this is money. I mean, I just was like, I went out there with just crazy confidence, knew I was going to hit it. Boom. It was right down the middle. It was, so it was one of those things. It was like, that's what, um, that was the difference between sophomore and junior year. And then, you know, yeah, I'm sure you guys will ask about the big kick. So we'll wait about that one. But yeah, so, um, yeah. Who was the battery? Who was your snapper? Who was your holder? So, in, in uh, Eric Manzanera's. Was it Toppinelli? Well, so I know my holders. So yeah, yeah. it was okay, uh, okay. Mike Gokachia yep, yep. for my uh, first two years. And the guy had the worst hands on the team <laughs> from like catching. He was a safety, but he was absolutely money. I mean, from a holding standpoint, every ball right on the same exact spot. It was so perfect. So we have this great relationship still. Um, Larry Toffinelli was my holder in 95 and he was absolutely money too. Um, and then senior year, it just really, <laughs> Justin Olson. Um, I mean, it was kind of just, a uh, Raul Pacheco ended mm-hmm. up, he was terrified of me kicking his fingers <laughs> and that's the last thing that you want for a holder. I mean, all those guys, you know. Justin Olson laid the ball flat. Um, Raul was afraid I was going to kick him. I mean, he was holding with his middle finger. You just never, just like, it was a struggle. So they kind of got progressively worse. But um, Eric Bueller is the one that would kick my ass if I forgot that mm. he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, Eric Manzanares, um, uh, Dennis Skates for my first couple years, and then Eric Manzanares and, and Eric Bueller. Um, I can't. I think it was Manzo got his hand stepped on. He was a, both of them were D linemen, and so um, Eric came in. But for the kick, um, Manzo, um, um, Manzo, and and uh, Toffinelli in that national championship game, uh, it is a low scoring game, certainly by Montana standards. Yeah. Defensive struggle. Uh, you walk out there, you break the ice, score the first points of the game, and. Uh, touchdown to Wells you come out hit the extra point up seven there's an interception on that following drive and a late long field goal attempt the one miss of the day but that first half you got the lead initially you got the extra point then couldn't quite knock it in on uh, from distance going into halftime but where were you at at that point going into the break yeah, I uh I was pissed off about that kick because um I had been kicking phenomenally that year and the playoffs I don't know if I'd missed a kick up until then that might have been my first miss I I can't remember exactly but most of them were PATs because we were just housing everybody but um uh but I was had a lot of confidence going I hit that 48 yarder yes first quarter that was my longest field goal of my career um so I was I felt good and I just crushed that ball. I can't remember if it was a 42 yarder or whatever it was, but I just I just pulled it left a little bit. But I was really pissed off that I missed that because we needed those points. I knew I knew how bad we needed points. And everybody, I mean, coach was pissed at me. I mean, um so I let the team down. So I came in and I and I didn't I did this in high school, but I didn't do this in much in college. As I would I, sometimes, I just take my helmet and just wrap something. And I remember coming in and just taking my helmet and giving the giving my locker the beating. And everybody's like, "Lars, settle down, man. We need you for the second half." I said, "I know. I'm good. I needed to get that out of me. Yeah. I needed to get that out and kind of get right." Um, so yeah, but so go back was, to the first kick because, like you said, forty-eight yarders, which was good from fifty-five or more. Yeah. I mean, you bang that thing. Yeah. How how high were you going to go? Let's roll. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. I mean, I. I felt really good. Um. You know, even in the second half, and uh, I think I had what another PAT maybe. I'm trying to remember, but what was it? Was it thirteen? 
it was on. I mean, and uh, yeah, I think we, I don't think the town slept that night. I didn't really much. So, yeah. He asked you about the 48 hours following the kick. I oh, want to yeah. hear about the 39 seconds following yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm, kick because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you, you make it, yeah. but it's not a walk-off. Yeah. And yeah. they got three timeouts, and they they started getting it going a little yeah. bit offensively. So yeah. what was that like? You got the euphoria of making it, yeah. but it's still not ring on the finger yet. Totally, yeah. It was um, – and if you go back, it was the one kind of frustrating thing is in on special teams, Coach Bruce Reed – if I if I wasn't kicking it to the end zone that day, he would have a squib kicks almost every kick, which are super annoying. You just don't want to be squib kicking all the time. But we squib, I mean, probably 50% of the time, um, which I didn't really like. But um, And they had a phenomenal returner in Parker. So they're like, he's just like, whatever you do, do not kick it to Parker. Well, of course he gets the ball. Um, and I don't, it wasn't, I don't, if I remember right, it wasn't like he was, I, I kind of kicked it over to the side and he ran over to grab it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he ran that damn thing back to like the 40, 45, their own 45 or something. So yeah. And then, you know, there's still 25 seconds and then they absolutely, I remember going back and watching, it was like comedy of errors um in the last i mean it was it was a classic college meltdown you know yeah. i just like they weren't you know i they weren't they were doing run plays. well they tried to yeah. kick like a 63 yeah, yarder yeah. on the last play they yeah. ran the guy out there this poor kid he's going what <laughs> right yeah. I mean, he didn't even kick it to the end no zone. i know they did a five yard out and then it, that lost him like they didn't even call a timeout right. it was just the weirdest uh you know weirdest last few plays but that was yeah so it was definitely especially when we when parker got it and he started running and i remember run trying to run after and tackling him and everybody was just like holding on for dear life um but yeah that was a little nerve-wracking and then as soon as they they did a couple of those plays i i mean I, we started it started when he, they, we went out for the 62 yarders like there's no way in hell i mean it, it it was not warm that day. I mean, it just, you're not going to kick a 62 yarder at that elevation when it's, I don't know, it was probably 42 degrees, you know, or whatever. It's just like, it's just, there's no way. And I think the ball landed on like the five or 10. So. Golter in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. So this this was your junior year, so then you have another year after that, and you guys have an awesome season again, go back to Huntington, West Virginia, but uh, then run into some guy named Randy Moss. But, I mean, what do you remember just about the 96 season? Did he block season? one of your kicks in there, too, somewhere along the way? It seems like he Thankfully, did everything, no, Randy yeah, Moss. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he tried to. That's the only time. Really? Did he? Yeah, I mean, no. I just made that up. No, I no. He actually, on, on, my, on the – I, I'm pretty sure the first points of that game is a field goal. We we didn't play great that game. They were really good, um, but our offense didn't play great. I mean, I think uh, we just didn't finish on some stuff. I think we could have probably kept up with them because our offense was so good. But um, they're, I mean, yeah, they just were they were too good. But I remember he came in diving for one of my field goals and I'm, he stood up next to me. I mean, he is a giant. 
I remember slapping him on the butt, saying, "Nice try, bud." And then, but his legs were so skinny. I mean, he just, <laughs> yeah, he's just, a just slender a guy. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the closest I ever got to him. But yeah, it was. Yeah, well, that's he, pretty but, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a butt slap's pretty close. <laughs> I don't know how much closer you want to get, Andy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the dynamic of that season being different though? Because '95 was such a breakthrough yeah. and this moment where Montana had finally affirmed itself as a nationally elite team. Mm-hmm. But then the next year, kind of a, a marked team, a, you know, a favorite to get back to that exact position. Was it different? Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess in 95, we, I think we definitely surprised, you know, everybody probably. I mean, I think we were a five or a seven seed. So things, if I remember right, things kind of worked out with us in the draw. Um, for having home games at, at Wagriz. Um, there was an upset, and you know we were supposed to go to maybe like uh, James Madison or Furman or something, and they got upset or you know something happened. But uh, so then the next year, I mean, we were number one the whole season, and Marshall was number two the whole season. We were both just it was just boom, 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 and we were just crushing people it was a big year because coach reed you know stepped down but it what you know so we lost coach reed and we lost dave dickinson um so then denny he comes in and it's just like good old you know it's just no there's not a big difference there's a difference but not a big difference and then um with brian ayat came in he was just so i mean he was just so easy going i mean and, and he was so good um, so I think it was he just had all these crazy weapons and an old line that was phenomenal. Um, so it was one of those things is like I think he just would probably say, I just got it to the right guys and just did my job. You know, we didn't he didn't need to be a leader. He didn't need to go out there. You know, he he's a quiet guy anyway, but he just led through example because you couldn't. I mean, he was unbreakable. I mean, he was just went out there as a sophomore and he just starts lighting people up, and he's just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's all good, you know. Yeah, it's through for 500, no problem, you know. I mean, <laughs> but that, we just had – there was there was a – we had a fair amount of seniors, I don't know, 24 seniors, and we had some really good juniors and, of course, Brian. So we just were – the coaches just kind of let us do our thing. Um, they knew what they were going to get. We knew kind of – and so we just, we just rolled, and, uh, you know, I think – we didn't underestimate Marshall, but we had you have no idea. I mean, somebody like Randy Moss, I mean, you don't you know I mean I don't know if you've if the one double A's ever seen somebody like that that gets a full ride to Florida State and a full ride to Notre Dame and then he ends up at, you know, our level. Um so we didn't understand like how good he is. And you couldn't see it on tape. I mean you can see he's fast, but when you when Sean Gokachi is bouncing off him and, you know, Blaine McElmurray, the fastest guy on our team, can't keep, you know, it's just like, what is the deal? And they, and they were they were absolutely loaded on the O-line and their running back went, went pro too. So I remember Krebs saying that he'd never been hit harder in his life during that game um, because I think he had a phenomenal game in 95 and they said, we are not going to let this number 37 we're gonna crush him and i think they you know just came after him with everything um so i would have loved to not have randy Moster. i think it would have been <laughs> i think it would have been a great game because yeah. they had a phenomenal team too they had their d back but they would have been really run hard i mean they would have been run run heavy but when they could run it as much as they wanted and then they had Moss over the top, it was almost impossible. I mean, we actually had a Zoom call. Um, Brian Toon um, has set up a couple of Zoom calls during COVID, and we had um, we had Jerome Sowers on, and then we had Mick Dennehy, and there was a bunch of us seniors that got on this. There was like 20 of us on this call. And, and I mean, Jerome was like, He's like, there is literally not, I mean, nothing that we could do. I mean, we tried everything. There's, you just can't, you can't compete with that. Well, well nobody well, could ever, ever compete with that. I mean, he's no. one of the five greatest players, yeah. one of the five greatest offensive players in the history of football, it's, right? Yeah, what, yeah. What's great, yeah. Randy Moss uh, and Ken Griffey Jr. are the two guys that come to mind where it's almost angering because it does not appear that they're trying. No. Like, 
And then that's where you go, well, maybe that's just how good this guy is because it's it's just what it is. And obviously at Marshall, that's prior to Randy Moss becoming Randy Moss as such. Yeah. But it actually wasn't, to your yeah. point, because yeah. he was already a full ride to the two, two of the biggest programs in the country before he ends up there. Was it interesting to you, you're on this call with the, you know, the then defensive coordinator, sometimes as a player – there's there's the veil of the coaches and they do their thing in their room and they have these things and you maybe you wonder why are we making this decision or doing this mm-hmm. to then have like well here's what we were thinking and have it all laid out there yeah. for you was that was that cool in a certain way to kind I of mean, get it was, that or what yeah I mean it was interesting to hear that because yeah. it was kind of you know I had no idea because. I love the game, but I don't know the game, you know, rolling coverages and, you know, cover one, two, you know, all these different things that they can do nowadays. And, you know, he just talked about some of that stuff that mm-hmm. they tried. And, you know, and, and our defense was great. I mean, we had Blaine Malcolmbury. There was, you know, he could you could put him anywhere. You had Ryan Palma. You had um, Goke. You had some seasoned guys. We had some, you know, pretty good corners at the time too. So we, I mean, we had some guys that you could do some different stuff with and get creative, but yeah, it was really interesting to hear that perspective to say that, you know what, we, no matter what anybody says, we tried everything yeah. and it still wasn't good enough. Um, tell us what you've been up to the last 25 years. Cause you've, you've been around and mm-hmm. then you've been back. Yeah, so what, yeah. what's going on with Andy Larson? Yeah, no, it uh, graduated from the U in, in 97 and uh, went out to Portland, Oregon, worked out there for a while. I had some family. I was kind of chasing a girl. Um, then went back east to Boston, Massachusetts for a couple years, again, chasing that same girl. I, I locked her down. She's my wife now. For Congratulations. Yeah, Took yeah, you 5,000 yeah. miles, yeah. but you caught her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, and then we moved to, uh, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. We both got our master's degrees down there. And, uh, where'd you go? Uh, at, uh, at Loyola. Okay. And then she was at Hopkins. So we both got our master's and they're a couple miles apart there. So it was one of those cities that we would have never guessed that we would be in. Um, cause I think all you hear about is drug capital and murder capital, but, Man, that is a fun town. I mean, it is surrounded by colleges. And we were there. You got Penn State, 60,000. Towson, 30, 40,000. University of Maryland, 30, 40,000. And then all the little ones. So it was like, uh, it was like, uh, um, uh, just intramurals on steroids. I mean, there was two leagues of everything, whether whatever you wanted to do, volleyball. And we were young and just, we played volleyball, flag football, and just, it was a young, super fun town. And the only thing I think about about Baltimore is Justin Tucker. So there you go. There's my, there's my tip of the cap there. And maybe some guy named Ray. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so that was, we stayed there a lot longer. We were there for eight years and uh, had our first child out there and uh we just we were both she's from helena too um and uh, we just said we got to get back home and and uh started interviewing and first security bank so you what do you do at first security i'm a commercial lender uh there and uh do all types of business banking uh, been there for it'll be 12 years in September. Wow. So yeah, it's a, it's an awesome bank. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, great presidents through the years. Bill Boucher. Um, I played with his son, Mike. Um, and then uh, Scott Burke now is the president. He's been the president for about 15 years, and he's a phenomenal person too. So it's just a good crew, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. It, it's such a... Uh, uh, dichotomy where on one hand you have this moment that no one's ever going to forget and it's one of the pinnacle moments in the history of this town and this university let alone just the football program but on the other hand sometimes that sort of thing can define you and that was when you were what 20 21 years old 21. so I mean how, how do you balance those two yeah. things because no one's ever going to forget Andy Larson no one's ever going to forget that kick yeah. but also you know, you've accomplished a great deal in your life since then, too. So it must be an interesting dynamic for you as the guy who made that kick. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it was so interesting when I left here, 
you know, when I left here in 97 and came back about a decade later, you know, when I was in Portland and Boston and Baltimore, everybody calls me Andrew Larson. (laughs) Nobody even knows, you know, really that part of it. So it was, so it, it, and then when I come back here, I'm introducing myself as Andrew and they're like, are you Andy or, you know, so it was, so yeah, so it's one of those weird things. And now honestly, I'm so, I love talking about it. I never get sick of talking about it because it's just, I mean, it's probably the reason why I have this job, you know, and, and, and why I'm back here. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think it's kind of one of those things. It is so unique. I would, um, you know, I would never, uh, it, it would just be so weird. Somebody asked me like, what if you missed that kick? Right. <laughs> and it was like, oh man, that's, that's a, that's a whole nother rabbit Six hole. Inches away. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, well, I probably am not working here. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm over in Bozeman or something. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired right at the end. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we appreciate yeah. the time, the reminiscing, the stories, and all of that. Boys and girls, Andrew Larson. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. It was awesome. Go Grizz. Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Championship team. Our thanks to Andy Larson for joining us on this episode and keep an eye out for more episodes as they come all through the fall of 2020. Grizz Greats, brought to us by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank.